we're going to do something different tonight, way different, or quite a bit different. If you would turn to a book that you don't see often, Jeremiah. It's in there, I promise. It's on page 687. Jeremiah 17. <clears throat> Let's go a different direction tonight. We've been ministering on the harvest is in the seed, but we're going to wait till Sunday to do that again. Verse 27 of chapter 17 in Jeremiah, way Old Testament. We, we know that, so we're not taking it as it is, but what it speaks. He said, uh, Jeremiah the prophet said, but if ye will not hearken, if ye will not hearken, me unto me to hallow, excuse me, Jeremiah speaking for the Lord. If you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day and not to bear a burden, so they could only walk so many paces and stuff like that on the Sabbath, even entering at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, <clears throat> then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Wow. That's for just walking too far. It's Jeremiah 17, 27. The, uh, the Amplified says, I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem. So where you see here where the Lord's particular, he's real particular. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to admonish you. Or he said, I'm going to have an unquenchable fire and burn down the gates. And other versions say, and I will... Uh, here it says, I will devour the palaces of Jerusalem. In Matthew 3, verse 11, let's slip over to Matthew 3. <clears throat> I want to talk about an unquenchable fire tonight. Now we're in the day of grace, and so the Lord's not going to, that does not apply, but the word that I wanted to look at there was the unquenchable fire. Unquenchable. You can't put it out. In chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 11, the Lord Jesus uh, was being prophesied about. And here John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. So he's talking about sin there, isn't he? And gather his wheat into the garner, the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there he's talking about hellfire, isn't he? The chaff being people that are not gathered into the barn. Uh, he will thoroughly purge his floor, and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, fire is a big thing to God. Uh, there's two kinds of fire. There's the fire of judgment, and then there's the fire of the Holy Ghost. And both of them represent a lot of passion and a lot of extreme. Paul faced... Do y'all know Paul faced religious influences in his generation? Y'all think we are facing religious 
religious influences in our generation. Uh, I heard yesterday that uh, church attendance in America is down to 50%, which is down from last year and the year before. But thing, the thing about Paul and the example that he is to us, more than the things he actually did, is the reason that he did them. He had the truth, he believed the truth, and he gave his life for others to have the truth. Think about all the books he wrote and that he was in prison and he was persecuted greatly. He was left for dead several times and was shipwrecked. He had the truth. He believed the truth. How much did he believe the truth? He believed the truth so much that he gave his life to give the truth to others. Not just to save his own life, but he gave his life so that he could give the truth to others. And so I, that's what I want to just slip through this evening. I wrote down everyone and everything that they use, that the religious right use, is religious influence. Everything that use their power against the truth is what he called a wicked in religious influence. Wicked religious influence. And one thing that's been really tweaking me, and I want to share it with you tonight with some scripture, is about honesty. When anyone is dishonest against the truth, what's the word we would say? Lie? Absolutely. But in the sense of church, it would be religious. Religious is a lie against the truth. It's, it's uh, covered or, it's, or, or na it's uh, decorated with fine things like cathedrals and uh, big churches and lots of robes. I tell Deb Rand all the time, don't ever trust a man in a dress. <laughs> That's our rule. They come in a dress to the front door, close the door. Uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, don't go there, but in verse 30, 23, listen to what an Old Testament man said about something that we sort of see in our world. He said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. We're talking about some pretty radical terms tonight. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And so he, uh, uh, <laughs> Saul said, I'm sorry, uh, let me make it right, let me get this fixed, I'll, 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 I'll put the animals back, I'll put the stuff back. And, and uh, the prophet said, it's too late. He has rejected you from being king, period. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, would you slip over there for me, with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Religious influence. Religious influence. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's not always hard to recognize, but often it, it's very well hidden. And that's what I want to share tonight, some of these things. Chapter 4, 
verse 2 says, but uh, we'll read verse 1. Having see, we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Let's see what version I got this out of. I, don't, I didn't write it down. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So that's something that we really, I really concentrate on, I really focus on. Instead of looking at this little thing and that little thing and getting the details in the dustpan and trying to throw them out, just concentrate on the truth. What are we going to do with the truth? We should defend the truth. And Paul said he, that you should die for it. Not murder, not bad things so much, but for distorting the truth. And we know that Paul would not compromise. Do you all know that's one thing he wouldn't do? He wasn't always right, but the one place that he was wrong was about the thorn in the flesh. He said, this is how I thought and this is what I was saying. And the Lord straightened me out, and now I'm telling you this. So he even admitted his mistake and told the truth. He blazed with the glorious truth of the kingdom. He was adamant. And that is the example that we have, is to not just accede to it, not just submit to it, not just acknowledge it, but to blaze with the truth. The truth is the only thing that sets us free. If you know the truth, the truth that you know will set you free. And that's, that's all we have. Everything else is something else. But the truth sets you free. And so the devil, Satan himself, had to contend with a man and had quite a handful. He had to contend with a man that would not be extinguished by an unquenchable fire. He would not be extinguished by an unquenchable fire. In other words, he, he always told the truth. And that's what I want in my life. Right or wrong, up or down, left or right, I want to be found telling the truth. And it's really hard on me when people say, you didn't tell the truth. I mean, not about the word, but this would just be, you did this and you did that, and it's just not true. And I said, yes, it is. It is the truth. You just don't know. One thing I get caught in as pastor, and you would too, is that when people want you to out somebody, say, why did you do this? This has happened to me several times. Why did you do what you did? And I said, I can't tell you because I would have to tell you why I did it, and I would have to, to disparage or throw somebody that we all know and love. I'd have to tell their story, and we can't do that. When sometimes when people leave the church, it's like, why didn't you stop them? Well, you don't know the whole story. There was a story, because I like church members as good as anybody. I mean, I'm way up on them. And so when someone leaves, there's always a, a good reason, but I can't always tell it. You can't always tell your side of the story. 
and we want to. We want to say, let me just tell you how it really went down. And usually we, we slip, or often we slip, and we tell, so-and-so so said this, and so I had to stand up for this, and I had to do that, and they got mad and left. Well, you can't tell that. Because it's, it's not your truth to tell. So that's happened to me several times, and I'm sure it has to you. In, in uh, uh, the two kinds of fires, the unquenchable fire that the Lord said he would come down and lay destruction to their works. Remember the, uh, the thing that they did in the Old Testament where uh, what, what feast was it that they cleaned out the leaven? They had to go through for, uh, the, what was that? Pentecost or whatever. Don't, don't look. Please don't. I, but you'll, you know the story that uh, they had to go through the house. They had a week to, to clean out all the leaven because leaven represented sin. And it, and it was a purification, which was not truly a pur- purification, but they would enact a purification. They would chase out the leaven and everything that had leaven. They would throw it out, cleaning their house, cleaning their lives, and being sin-free. It was a shadow. It was a type. It was a parable of what the Lord wanted to do. Well, that's, it's what? Passover, of course. Of course it was Passover. Yes. Well, that's good. So what are the, what are the, the, uh, the useless fires that we see in our society? Let's, let's just name them. One of them, we'll just start there, would be humanism. Another one would be fear, where people get all fired up for the wrong reason. We're supposed to get fired up over truth, but we often do not. Uh, another one would be self-righteousness. Another one would be sin. We, it's, a, it's a false fear, a useless fear, a useless fire. A useless fire. Competition. I hate competition. I hate it. I just hate competition. Because it, what competition says is, is there's just so much of something and we're going to have to both compete for it because there's not enough to go around. And in the Lord Jesus, there's enough for everyone, especially in your calling. There might just be one singing position at the church, and you're competing for that, but one of you is out of line, if not both, because there's plenty for everybody. There's plenty more where that came from. And so we, we, uh, we have competition, and competition is a useless fire. You get yourself lathered up for something that cannot advance your cause and likely will cause us to sin. Almost always you'll sin. Uh, it's, it's even arguable about the spirit of competition that's in the world, football and basketball and all, all that sort of thing, but we're not going there uh, for sure. Uh, so church, t- tell me, if church is imitatable, is it really a fire church? If you can imitate it, and, and certainly we, we're not saying we're free of that, but church shouldn't be imitatable. It's not even in the word what we should do. Did you notice there's no thing that in there that says, well, you ought to have a song and you ought to preach and you ought to receive that. There's no pattern. There's nothing there. Uh, the closest it comes is just talking about they went to church in Jerusalem and there's the churches at Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and Galatia, those churches. And then there's the Revelation churches. 
but it doesn't ever tell you about the form. So really, it could be that every church is different enough that it would be unique. It would be an original. Certainly because of the unique thing of the people, the pastor, the building, or whatever, and our backgrounds, we would not want to be imitatable. So we should, I say, we should question everything. You should question everything that's preached from this pulpit. Not in a critical sense, but you should affirm it. That's true. Or if, you, or, or if it just hits you wrong, you go, like, well, I'm going to keep listening. I've had people n- n- numerous times that when I'm teaching a series or something lasts for several weeks, they'll tell me I didn't get it until this morning, and it'll be the last Sunday or whatever. They'll say, okay, it, it all clicked, it all fell together, but they didn't get it. But you can, you can watch their faces in the service, and they're just like a, you know, like they say, a, a, a cow to a new gate or a dog with a new pan or whatever. It's like, I don't get that. But then the light comes on, and you can see it, and you know what I'm talking about when people like, I get it. I see it. And so uh, we all are fleeing hypocrisy and religion, or we should be. But it's sad. It's amazing how many people are comfortable with it and even seek it. I go back to the don't trust the man in the dress <laughs> with the smoky thing, you know, and the, and the pointy hat and all of that. I'm, I'm just making fun of that because none, it has no consequence at all. It's to take our eye off of that which is important. We don't do icons in River Church. We don't, we don't have scenes of a sea of the waves and the mountain, all of that behind our words, because we don't want to take our eyes off the words. We don't have banners around here that says, rejoice in the Lord, and always I say rejoice. It's harmless. I know it's harmless. I'm real picky about it, but we don't have that because it's an icon it's something that represents him, represents the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. And so the pointy hats and the censor and all that sort of stuff is not the kingdom. But people are content with it because they don't have to, like uh, the Mount Sinai, where they told Moses, you go up, we're afraid. We're afraid to go up because the mountain was quaking. Well, people are afraid to look at Jesus or go after him personally, and they like an icon, they like a a cross, and they like to think about finding the Holy Grail or a a splinter off the original cross or some tomb where somebody is buried or some place in Jerusalem. It's very satisfying to them. Well, why is that? Well, it's something they can touch, they can feel, they can look at, but it's not real. It has no inherent worth you know that because a sinner, a, a, an agnostic or what, could go to that same place and it would mean nothing to them. So it has no power. The rosary has no power. It, it might convey or help you confess or, or remind you of anything, but it is not holy. The rosary is not holy, is it? It's nothing. And so we, we don't have any icons in this church. And, and I, I acknowledge um, it's a little extreme. It's a little over the top to say none, but we just don't want crutches. I don't even really like words to songs, but we, we have to, or we think we do, uh, because words to song, I've, I, I've seen people reading Hallelujah that's sung 15 times, and I see them reading, 
you know, and like waiting for Barry to turn the slide up to another hallelujah. And it's like, you're not there. Y'all know what I mean? You're not there. You're, you're in a substitute realm. You're in a, a make-believe realm because you're not looking at the real realm. And the real realm is Jesus. The real realm is Holy Ghost inside, and we deal with that. Uh, uh, Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to turn there. Uh, it's just one verse, and it's easy to get to. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10 uh, who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught, for nothing? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. So he's talking about his altar, where they would bring things mechanically and without thought. Um, the Amplified, uh, let's see, in chapter 3, verse 2, he goes on, he says, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller scope. He is like a refiner's fire. So he's real adamant about just not using form in this dispensation, in this covenant. We cannot use the form of the Old Testament. They were not born again, but we are. And that is the defining line. That is, I'm born again. He's not out there. I don't have to look away. He's in here. I look at him. I'm identified with him where? Oh, well, I'll look up and see if I look up to heaven. He's not there. I mean, he is, but we look here. And that's where uh, he is. He said, who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? So the righteous are righteous. We're not filled with form, patterns, liturgical items, icons that are, you know, the churches in, the, uh, in Russia and Greece and, and I guess all over, their whole church is filled, y'all have seen them filled with icons of the saints, St. Harry and St. Lucius and St. whoever, whoever, where, where do they get these saints? But they're filled up there and, that's, and then stained glass windows, the same thing. Stained glass window came into being because people couldn't read. And so the, the glass would tell the story of the gospel. And so it was important. It wasn't an icon. It was a story. And people could understand it because they could see it. So we're not mad at religious people all the time. I, I, I do. I do hate religion. I don't know. I don't even know if it's normal or if it's right, but I, I despise it. Exactly the same as if I just, as I despise someone telling me something that's not true. It's just I'm I'm a person of truth. Doesn't mean I'm perfected at it by any means, but I hate the lie. I hate the lie. And Second Timothy three, two and five says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, have a form of godliness, but deny the power, have nothing to do with them. So he's talking about religious people have nothing to do with them. And so it's kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's contrary. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a juxtaposed. It's something that we're, we're to win them, but we can't, we can't fellowship with them. It's business, it's gospel business, or it's nothing. We cannot be buddies with them. We cannot be friends with them. Uh, the gospel say don't even eat with them. Uh, 
So there's a lot of hypocrisy. One thing, well, I won't go there, but I will say we're not mad at people. We're not mad at people because we want them free. How free? As free as we are and more. That's our whole thing. That's everything here is not to ever say we're just, we're just maintaining a ritual here at River Church. We're coming in and we're doing our religious duty. We're only preparing here or ministering to people that need to be set free. That's why we preach the word. It's because the word sets you free. The truth sets you free. And so we, we put the word out and the whole end of it is, is not so people will clap and say good word or I even learned something, but that we're changed. We're transformed. So religion is a useless fire that always consumes whatever is good. So religion is dangerous. It consumes whatever is good in your life. It's a substitute. It's a distraction. It's, uh, it's not real. The devil wants to get your eyes off of Jesus. So that's why we say that feelings follow faith. You cannot follow feelings, but feelings do follow faith. So once you get in faith and your faith gets activated and you get to working, feelings will follow. But if you are led by feelings, we've all been led by feelings. I just feel it's this is the way. I just feel like I'm supposed to do this or do that. Well, that's against the word. Well, I have a feeling. Well, feelings are not what we're led by, are we? Uh, uh, Jude 1.12 says that it's... Clouds without rain, we're talking about uh, useless fires. Clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. So religion looks like the real. It looks like the real. And if you're untrained, unskilled in exercising discernment, You'll fall for it. You'll fall for religion. Religion is very crafty. They, you know, uh, drugs and stuff like that are very well hidden, and religion is very well hidden too. Uh, Exodus thirty-three fifteen. Let me just read that to you. It, it, talking about a divine expectation. What is our expectation in the Lord? If it's to shun evil or to shun religion, it's the same thing. Exodus 33:15 says, uh, if your, present does, your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I think that's, a, that's an amazing verse. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Of course, his presence is always with us, but the, the grace there is, if, you're not, if you haven't ordained what I'm about to do, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to go there without you. If you're not saying this is good, this is right, this is my plan, I'm staying right here. And I think, I believe that we're all looking at things closer than we ever have to make sure. I don't want to miss it anymore. It's like it didn't used to be that important because there wasn't any real judgment to it. You just backed up and close enough was close enough. But like that judgment fire that came down in Jeremiah, that if you walk too far with too many things, he said, I'm going to blow it all up. I'm going to put an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem, and it's going to burn down everything. It tells you how serious God is. Now, he's not that way now with those exact circumstances, but he still wants our heart. 
another verse in, uh, oh, I put this down. People are satisfied with moving even if it's in a useless circle. That is, that is the definition of religion, as long as we're moving. Can you imagine being baptized as an infant? How that takes water baptism out of your future, which is what you do when you have a meaningful transaction with the Lord. You get born again. You want to get baptized, but they say, well, you've already been baptized. You were, you were in God's kingdom back then when you were a baby, and so it's taken away. So there's miss, something missing there. Religion preempts. It takes the special, the precious, the wonderful things of the kingdom and takes it out, the new birth. Those people are not looking for the new birth because they've been told, you got it. And even if you die without living a righteous life, they have ways that you can pray or you can buy your kinfolks out of hell. It's just, it's just terrible doctrine. And, and you're like, well, whatever. We hate that as much as someone that says Jesus is a lie. Because that's what it says. He's a lie. He's not true. He's not real. He's not, he, he won't, there's nothing to it. When you can say, I can pray you out. The Mormons do that, I understand. That they have that. There's one verse that talks about it. Uh, there's a verse in 1 Kings chapter 18. I've used a lot of Old Testament stuff here. But here's what it says in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Well, that's way Old Testament. I mean, 1 Kings, that's way back. But there's a truth to it. Get off the fence. Fish or cut bait. Well, however you want to say it, there's a lot of Christians that are, that, are, that are saturated with religion, enough so that they're not looking for the Lord. And that's what I don't like. That's the thing I despise about easy believism, where you go to a church and they get you lathered up with a real emotional presentation about hell and, and uh, how you're just on the edge of it and all that sort of stuff, which is true, which is true. But then emotionally, you make a decision. Well, I don't want to go to hell, and I do want to go see Grandma and Grandpa, and I do want to be with my brother and sister and all that. And so they go down in, in, a, in, a, in an emotional decision. They say whatever they need to say and do whatever they need to do. But then when the emotion's gone and the memory of that hellfire that they've painted up into you is subsiding, you don't know what to do with it. They said you were. They said you were born again. I remember going down to the front of the church when I was eight years old. My dad, you know, said, you want to go with me? And I had no clue what we were about to do. There was nothing going on with me. But my mother had been messing with him to quit being Methodist and get with the program and be a Baptist. And the Baptist required you to, to get baptized if you were Methodist or whatever. Is that right? Something like that. And so, uh, so he, he reached down to me, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a sorry little trick. He, he didn't want to go by himself. So he says, you want to go? It's like, well, Dad, I always want to go with you. I'm eight years old. Who doesn't want to go with their father? So we went down there and took me through the racket, and I have no idea what, what happened. Well, actually, I do. Nothing. 
So I had to always, I never had a born-again experience in the sense of uh, that I was convicted and I had someone to, to confess my sin and everything. I just, I just eased into it somehow. I just, I knew I was born again. I knew I believed, but I never had that dramatic thing that says, yep, on January 13th, that's when it happened for me. And I recovered, but a lot of people don't. They don't. And so they didn't get born again, but they were told they did. And so they think they are. And then when life is over, they're not. Because they're not. So Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So yay. So, this is kind of a, this is just a thought message. This is just one I've been thinking about. So, how long are we going to give our affections and our precious, precious life, and it is, to people that belong to a system or a kingdom that despises us and wants to displace us that they don't know our God, but they know enough to not want our God or love our God, and they don't believe in Jesus, and he's the most sacred and precious and paramount thing in our whole life. There's nothing above that or shouldn't be. And yet we, we mingle with and we play with and we give our affections, our precious things, without getting them born again to these people because they're all human, and we're human, and they're human, and we all do that. Uh, it, it causes wrecks. Uh, you wouldn't preach this message anywhere to anybody, but, but we, can, we can appreciate it. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you're bought with a price, and you're not your own. So we don't have the choice. We've been saying access is not permission. So we do have access to do anything we doggone well please. We, have, we can go invite anybody or go anywhere or do anything we want to. We can, but it doesn't mean we have permission. It doesn't mean that it's going to take us somewhere that we want to go. Because religion is very hidden and the consequences are very paramount. So this is where I come just to tweak our lives. Because I want everything in my life that makes me stronger to get, the, get, to get where he's assigned me faster and to be more fruitful when I get there. That's every day. You know, you, you run, we all run into people, and we have a chance or an opportunity to give them the gospel. But it depends on what we think of ourselves and how we have prepared ourselves. But if we were honest, if we were honest, and honest is my new word, to be honest. Uh, to be honest with all men is to deal with truth. Let's say that part together. Deal with truth. To be honest is not that you don't tell a lie, it's that you deal in truth. A lot of believers live a compensated life. They're living out of two realms. They're living out of the, uh, uh, what one man wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. Dr. Cole talks about that in one of his books that they are Christians on Sunday and they're in the right place and they're doing the right thing and they're sitting there obediently and they're listening and even enjoying it. They're a Christian on Sunday, 
but they live exactly like the world all during the week, just like an atheist. Someone, they don't ever say, I don't believe in Jesus. They just live like they don't believe in Jesus. And so that's, there's a part of that, a very small part, and it's, it's waning on all of us, I suspect, but it's, it's a residue that we're always having to brush out and to wash away and be con, uh, cognizant of. But when we make excuses, and we're all, we were all raised this way, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to apologize for this, but I want to make it the right value. When we apologize, or when we, excuse me, when we make excuses for our choices, many times somebody will say, are, are you going with me or something? And we tell them, no, I'm not going with you. And then what follows is an excuse. Okay. What follows is an excuse. And it could be true, but we may not want to hurt their feelings. I don't like who you're going with. I don't like where you're taking me. I don't like that. But we don't want to hurt their feelings, so what do we do? We make an excuse that's not truth. And so we live a compensated life. We, we say, this is better. But in the truth of truth, the heart of hearts, the core, it was dishonest. We said something that was not true. Picky, picky, picky. He is so picky. This is where I am. This is what I'm working on. Is Now, you don't always have to tell the whole truth. You don't have to just get out there and just say, I've always hated your guts, and I don't ever want to go anywhere with you. you, know, you don't, it's not that you have to do that, but you have to craft something, not an excuse, but a reason. Well, I, 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 and it's got to be real. It's got to be true. I don't want to go. And it's tricky. That's why we don't do it. It's because it's real tricky, to be honest. Because we want people to like us. And the list of them that do sometimes is not as long as we're working on. I know that's true for, for me. But access is not permission. Just because we don't want to hurt their feelings doesn't mean we can justify not telling the truth, which is dishonest. It's dishonest. It's dishonest. <laughs> Religion will thrive but in dishonesty, but power cannot. And it, it, it unplugs us a certain amount when we're dishonest. Because then when we go, in the same part of our life, we go and we tell someone the truth. Jesus will set you free. I will lay hands on you and you will recover. That's what we believe to be truth. But James said that a double-minded man cannot hope to receive anything from God because he's double-minded. He's, uh, he's washed about by the, every wave. And so there's a process working there in the background that we're not always aware of, but we can fix. But it requires a lot of detail. So the point is, is if you want Bible results... You have to do it the Bible way. And I do. I want Bible results. I'm not satisfied with my level of anything, actually. Although I am glad that I'm on the road, I'm on the way, I am seeking after him. But honesty is something that you have to fight for. 
because there's so many ways to have a gradient of truth and be dishonest. We call it excuse, but what we need to say is, I've got to give you a reason. If you can't get out of giving a reason, you can get pretty crafty or adept, I should say, at telling the truth without hurting their feelings. But it's, it's a little more challenging. So I looked up scriptures about honest. And listen to these. Just listen to these scriptures about honest. You, there's more than you might think. Acts 6.3, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may we report that we may appoint over this business. Seven men of honest report. Romans 12.7 says, Provide things honest in the sight of all men. We've got to deal with that scripture. Uh, chapter 13, verse 13 in Romans says, Let us walk honestly. 2 Corinthians 8.21, <laughs> Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He's telling us it's important to be honest. We're not talking to pathological liars here. We're not talking about people that are just rattling it off. We're talking about the nuances of the truth that we want to we want to, the truth to set us free and set others free, so we have to be adherents of it. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 says that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Wow. Honesty pays. Hebrews 13.18, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. So that's my pursuit. So I, I hope you're not, uh, honestly, I hope you like that. Because we have to be the standard in a world that has no compass, that has no direction. We have to be the thermostat in a world full of thermometers that's just measuring the culture. The church is very, very cultural. The standard everyday church is very, very much a reflection of the world. They, they do all their business. There's no difference between them and the world. They just do it in a kind of a Jesus is Lord uh, fashion. So we're, we're called to burn for God. That's where we're going. That's where we've always been going. That's where we're going to continue to go. We only have one thing, or is the gospel. And it, in truth... In signs and wonders. They follow the word. These, these things will follow them that believe. And it's got a list. And so we, we have to be true believers and not just acknowledgers. So uh, the way people, we're, we're not in a world right now where you can get on the corner and preach. We're in a world now that you have to have a testimony you have to be a demonstration. People have to know what you stand for. And if you get caught or if you have a life that's not totally honest, it will, it will bite you, so to speak. People notice. We all notice. We've talked about it, how we all know when someone has a body language that's disrespectful or unbelieving or whatever. We, we can pick up on the slightest little nuance and people do it in us. So let's just tell the truth because they would drop you like a hot potato anyway 
if they're not believers and you are, so you might as well stand for something and be powerful. I want to be powerful. I want, to, I want my testimony at the end of this that says, he wasn't pretty, but he was powerful. <laughs> he wasn't tall, but that wasn't his fault. He was powerful. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you right now for Holy Ghost having access into our hearts at this very moment to, to reveal, to shine a light on things that we have compromised, not purposely, Lord, just didn't know, just did not know it mattered, just did not know that fire could burn both ways. So thank you, Lord, for showing us what to do, showing us how to take the next step in our lives. We're so grateful that you've called us to this. And we thank you that as we know more truth, that truth will set us more free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God.